With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the legendary law and order stories of the Wild West. This podcast features a forensic psychologist that looks at the history of the most infamous and famous outlaws and cowboys of the Wild West. So sit back, partner, and take a listen. Today we talk about the dandy gunfighter Luke Short. The subject of the narrative might have died with his boots on, for he had many chances, but he didn't. The fact that he lived to die in bed with his boots removed, as all good folk like to do when the end comes nigh, may have been to good luck. You see, he was the quickest at the critical moment, perhaps is the best answer, when the time came for Luke Short to pass out of this life, to render up the ghost, as used to be said. He was surrounded by his wife and was able to lie in a bed in a home of his own. He had friends around and peacefully awaited the coming of the end. There was nothing in his wan and drawn features as he lay on the last bed of sickness at Fort Worth, Texas, to indicate that luck had ever been his friend. He knew that his time had come and was reconciled to fate. Luke was a little fellow, so to speak, about five foot six in height and weighing in the neighborhood about 140 pounds. It was a small package, but one of great dynamic force. In this connection, it will be not out of order to state that though of slight build, it required about a seven and eighth hat to fit his well-shaped round head. When he lived with it, when he left his father's ranch in western Texas, where he had been occupied as a cowboy in the middle of seventies, for the Red Cloud Agency in South Dakota, he was nothing more than a white Indian. That is, he was an Indian in every respect except color. And as nearly all of our American Indians living west of the Missouri River in those days were wild and hostile and on the warpath most of the time, a fair idea of Luke Short may be gleaned from the statement. Luke had received none of the advantages of his school in his younger days. He could hardly write his name legibly. Indeed, it was doubtful if he had ever seen a schoolhouse until he reached man's estate. But he could ride a bronco and throw a lariat. He could shoot both fast and straight and was not afraid. He had no sooner reached Nebraska's northern boundary line, hard by the Sioux Indian Reservation, that he established that he was pleased to call a trading ranch. His purpose was to trade with the Sioux Indians, whose reservation was just across the line in South Dakota. He had good instincts, and he knew that the American Indians loved whiskey, as even in those days he carried on his shoulders something of a commercial head. He conceived the idea that a gallon of whiskey worth 90 cents was not a bad thing to trade an Indian for a buffalo robe worth $10. Luke proceeded to lay in a good supply of pine top, the name of the whiskey, and the exchange for the robes was known. Uncle Sam objects to the business, though. He was not long in building up a lucrative business, nor was it long before the Indian chiefs of the Sioux tribe got, got on to him. Drunken bands of young bucks were regularly returning to their villages from the direction of the short rendezvous loaded to the muzzle with pine top, and as every drink contained at least two fights, as it usually took about ten drinks to cause an American native, to forget that the great white father abode in Washington, the condition of those who had found entertainment at the short ranch when they reached their camp can better be imagined than told. 
The Indian agent in charge of this particular branch of the Sioux tribe, with whom Short had been dealing, soon got busy with Washington. He represented to the Department of the Interior that a band of cutthroat white men under the leadership of Luke Short were trading whiskey to his Indians, and that he was powerless to stop it. As the camp of the men was located just across the reservation line in the state of Nebraska, which is outside of his jurisdiction, he requested the government to instantly remove the whiskey traders and drive them from the country. Otherwise, said he, an Indian uprising will surely follow. Military commander over at Omaha was instructed to get after the purveyors of this whiskey. Now, as soon as he had noticed of such a move being made against him, he was soon a prisoner in the hands of the government authorities. When the soldiers arrived, he was alone in his little dugout cooking his dinner. He was told that he was a prisoner by order of the government for having unlawfully traded whiskey to the American natives. Is that all, gentlemen, said Luke, as he invited the officer in command to sit down and eat. There will be no time for eating, said the officer. We must reach Sydney by tomorrow morning and time to catch the overland train for Omaha. So get your things together and come along. Luke says I have nothing I take, that I care to take along, excepting what I have on, and that mainly consisted of a pair of Colt pistols and a belt of cartridges. Officer sued had him in custody and inquired where his partners were. He says, I have no partners. I've been running the ranch by myself. But Luke did have a partner. He was at the very time in Sydney getting more whiskey. After everything around the ranch resembling whiskey had been destroyed by the order of the officer, the trip to Sydney, about 75 miles away, was taken up. Luke was put astride a government horse, his feet fastened with a rope underneath the animal's girth. Luke had, by his quiet manner during the time, short time he had been a prisoner, succeeded in having the officer regard him in the light of a harmless little adventurer who really did not seem capable, even if so, to committing a crime of any sort. City of Nebraska was a very small place in those days. The permanent population, in all probability, did not even reach a thousand. Sydney, following the custom of all small hamlets, however, would turn out when there was nothing, anything unusual going on, and the sight of a company of U.S. soldiers lined up at the railroad station was enough to arouse their curiosity. Luke Short's partner was among those who came to see the big show at the depot, and his surprise cannot be well imagined. Skidoo and 23 were terms familiar to Short even in those days, but they were conveyed by sign language. Luke made his partner understand that he would soon be back in Sydney and had everything in readiness so that they could skip the country with as little delay as he soon showed up. The charge of unlawfully trading whiskey to the Indians did not seem to concern him. I can beat that, he said, but supposing that agents should take a notion to call for a count of heads? I don't know. I know there are several young bucks whom I caught trying to steal my whiskey who will not be there to answer roll and call roll call in in case one is ordered. To state it briefly, Luke did not tarry long with the soldiers after the train left Sydney. That night found Luke back in town, and before the following morning, he and his partner were well on their way to Colorado, driving a big span of mules hitched to a canvas-covered wagon. This happened in the fall of 1878. It must be remembered that in that country, in those days, there were no settlements of any kind, and by keeping from the line of the railroad, a white person was seldom seen. Luke and his partner arrived in Denver in due course time and drove to one of the city, core, city horse corrals where this next day they disposed of their outfit at a good price. The whole thing was a new life for Luke. He took it like a duck to water. It was the first place where he saw the game of Pharaoh, a card game, and he was fascinated. He was not long in camp before he was talked about. <clears throat> one day he ran foul of a bad man with a gun in the camp's prominent gambling houses, the bad man who had a record of killing 
of having killed someone somewhere, attempted to take some liberty with one of Luke's bets. And when the latter, Luke, politely requested the bad man to keep his hands off, the bad man became angry and made rude remarks. The dealer was frightened. He looked to see Luke's short shot full of holes before anyone could raise a hand to prevent it. The dealer, of course, didn't have Luke's number. He knew the other fellow, but had yet to become acquainted with the late vendor of the whiskey. Gentlemen, said the dealer, I will make the amount of the bet good rather than have a quarrel. You will not make anything good to me, said Luke Short. That is my bet, and I will permit no one to take it. The bad man said, you significant little shrimp, I will shoot your hand off if you dare to put that on the bet. But he didn't, nor did he get his pistol out of his hip pocket. For quicker than a flash, Luke had his own pistol into the bad man's face and pulled the trigger, and the bad man rolled over on the floor. The bullet passed through his cheek. Luckily, it did not kill him. There was no arrest or trial. Such things were happening all the time in the town of Lidville. In the spring of 1881, Luke Short in Tombstone, Arizona, dealing faro in a house managed by Wyatt Earp. That's where he was at. One morning, he went to the Oriental Gambling House where Luke was working, just in time to keep him from killing a gambler named Charlie Storms. There was scarcely any difference between this case and one of the bad men in Leadville a couple of years previous. Storms was one of the best-known gamblers in the entire West and had on several occasions successfully defended himself in pistol fights with Western gunfighters. They befriended each other to some degree. Storms did not know Short, and like the bad man, had sized him up as an insignificant-looking little fellow. Both men were about to pull their pistols when somebody jumped in between them and grabbed Charlie Storms, at the same time requesting Luke not to shoot, a request he knew would respect if it were possible without endangering his own life. He had no trouble getting Storms out of the house, as he knew to be his friend. When Storms had reached the street, he advised him to go to his room and sleep, for then, for the first time, they had been up all night quarreling with other people. He asked, me to, he asked somebody to accompany him to his room, which he did. After seeing him safely in his apartment, he returned to Short. He was explaining to Short that Storms was a very decent sort of man. There he stood before them. Without saying a word, he took hold of Luke's arm and pulled him off the sidewalk when he had been standing at the same time pulling his pistol. But like the other bad man, he was too slow. Although he succeeded in getting his pistol out, Luke stuck the muzzle of his own pistol against Storms' heart and pulled the trigger. Storms was dead when he hit the ground. And we'll talk about Charlie Storms in the future as well. Luke was eventually forced to leave the town. And Luke had a very interesting story, but we're not going to make this that long of a podcast. I haven't been known to do that, so we don't want to start now. But he had a lot of stuff in his history. And you can tell he was a gunfighter. And he had a lot of escapades. So what we're going to do is actually do a part one and a part two for the first time. And we'll get continue this story of Luke Short next week. And then up, coming after that, in a few weeks, we'll find out what the saying of Huckleberry, I mean, your Huckleberry really means. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.